whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, everyone. Kit and I are very excited today to welcome Elisa Licht, the founder and president of Leave Your Mark. And she's also the author of the best selling book, Leave Your Mark. And today we're going to talk about how to be a boss. So excited to be here, welcome. guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. So, I guess, why not? Why don't you intro us into like your basic philosophy and and a little history, even though probably most people know your history, but let's just start from scratch. Okay, we'll start from scratch. So first of all, I was pre-med in college and decided that I loved fashion too much. It was the 80s. No one knew fashion was a job. So when I figured out in my Same. junior year that fashion I had no idea is either. a job, exactly, um, I was like, wow, I think I want to work in a magazine. So when everyone went abroad after college, I was like, I need to buckle down. I need to get a fashion internship. And I applied to three magazines because I was like, I only like these three. And if I don't get an internship at one of these three, then I just won't do it, which by the way is not good advice. So don't follow that. I ended up at Harper's Bazaar as an intern for Richard Sinnott. Wow. In 1996. Best of the best. Best of the best. And I worked for Richard for about six months. And then a job opened up at Mary Claire and Accessories. And he recommended me for the position. So I joined Mary Claire in 96 under Glenda Bailey and was the assistant accessories editor there Did for we two ever, years. Like, do a, like a showroom visit or anything? Uh, I can't remember, yes, but we have. I'm we sure, have. I'm sure we did. I, I actually remember it. Yes, Re- we have. <laughs> and Glenda is my buddy for since she came to the stage. She's so, brilliant. She's yeah. brilliant. So that was an incredible experience. Also because my direct boss, Yamale Diaz, who was the accessories director at the time, was extremely uh, passionate about growing me. And I think that set the tone. And Richard, of course, as an intern too, was always like really lifting me up and showing me how to do things, taking me places, exposing me to things. And really, Richard was great in opening the door. And I think that's really important. So at Mary Claire, I grew really quickly mentally, not in my title, because I was given the autonomy to do so. So after two years, I was kind of like, well, I mean, I feel like I should be an editor already. And back then, Cynthia, you'll remember this, like everyone was in their roles for like 10 years. It was like Lauren DuPont for 10 years at Vogue and Richard for 10 years at Bazaar. And I can't even remember who was at W, maybe Alex or somebody. I can't even remember. No one moved. No one moved around in the industry. So it was kind of like, well, if you're going to grow, where are you going? And I thought, well, I speak to these PR people all day long, and I kind of know who I like to work with and who I don't, so maybe I could just model myself after the ones I like. And a role opened up at DKNY, and I had Gretchen Gunlock, who was at Town & Country at the time, recommend me for the role because I had no PR experience, so I felt like I needed that leverage of someone like whispering into their ear, like, hey, this girl's good, even though she doesn't have the experience. And, um, but I do think that was the time when people were sort of crossing 
over into, you know, brands. Maybe. Like, I didn't know. I, f- I feel like editors were starting to think about, you know, how can I take my expertise to the other side almost? Well, I was, it was more for me, like, I just didn't know where else to go. So then I ended up working for Donna, Karen, and I started in 98. I worked for her for 17 years. Um, 17 years? 17 years. I was the SVP of Global Communications, launched them in digital with creating DKYPR Girl in 2009 and sort of started on that social brand personality track for fashion and then left the end of 2015, launched my book, Leave Your Mark, and took 10 months off consulting, hated it. Thought it was the worst thing I've ever done. Went back in-house to another brand and was there for two and a half years and then left again. And now I'm back to consulting. And now it's funny how timing changes. Now it's working for me. And I'm consulting in fashion and beauty, doing marketing, digital content strategy uh, for the most part. Not really PR anymore as much. And I just launched the Leave Your Mark podcast, which is career advice driven and sort of a continuation of the book. Amazing. So one question I have is, I know you you mentioned a lot about having mentors and people who were really rooting for you throughout your story and becoming this amazing person in the fashion industry. And I think that's super important, but I also think that fashion is becoming more democratic in Mm -hmm. a way. Yes. And I'm wondering how you think the, I guess, entry fee sort of to the fashion industry has changed? I think that I just had a conversation actually with Jessica Andrews from Refinery29 about this because she graduated from Columbia and couldn't get a job after college for like six months and was flipping out and basically decided she wanted to be a writer, but there were no, no one would hire her. So she decided to just write anyway. And I think that we are at a time now with digital where if you have a talent, if you're a photographer and you want to shoot fashion, well, you better be outside Fashion Week shooting fashion. So I think no one has an excuse not to have a portfolio of their work, even if it's just for themselves. And then I think what happens is if you're good, people start to notice. And that's what happened to her. And people started to notice, like, she has a great blog. Like, maybe we should put it on Essence.com. And that's what ended up happening. So you can sort of make your own way. I still think it matters, of course, like, if you have connections and you can leverage your network to get in the door, you should. But you can really sort of show your stuff without without having to know anyone. And I've known a lot of people to do that. I think it's never been a better time to just simply do it. I agree. Whatever your idea is, and and anything is possible, like anything and everything is possible. Whatever your idea is, just do it and put it out there. And I think that's how you develop your own voice and your own eye. And, you know, that I think then is noticed by other people. It is. And I think the the sort of risk-free way to do that is to really make it a side hustle at first. Like you don't have to quit your day job in accounting, right? Exactly. You can do it on the side. And I think everyone should have a side hustle. I also think that it's important, even when you're working in a company, like in, in my company, I want people to have side hustles. I want them to have their own voice. And I want, that's what brings something into the 
into the company too. Like, I don't want someone just mimicking, you know, what they think our brand is. Bring me something that is totally going to, you know, hit me over the head and make me think a different way or make us all think a different way. You know, I think that's sort of, that's important even when you're in a position to also continue doing that and continue your own voice and your own eye. I couldn't agree more. Um, Also, I want to chat a little bit about what you think about, like, just tips for building an online presence. I think it's so hard now to enter that world in content creation just because it's so saturated. But you are a longtime expert, so. I, you know, I don't consider myself an expert. I feel like I learn something new every single day. Um, one of my favorite sites to read, actually, is socialmedia.com because I feel like they boil things down really simply because the amount of news is endless. And the way the algorithms change, it's every day. And you can't, it's like, you know, we're like, I was with someone yesterday. We're like, oh, wait, you can't download lives anymore. Okay, great. Thanks, Instagram. Thanks for telling us. Like, just things that change all the time. I will say, though, that having a really strong point of view as to what you want your online presence to look and feel like and and really sort of pick a lane as to why you're there and what you're trying to achieve. For example, yesterday I met with someone who is a life coach and she also has a restaurant business and she's also a mom of four. And she was asking me about branding advice and I said, well, honestly, your bio is is all over the place. Like pick a lane. Like you want to be a life coach, like be a life coach and really scream that online across every place you can. Great content. Um, I think no matter what Facebook or Instagram do to the algorithms, they still want people on the platforms sharing things. So they are going to favor organic content that surprises and delights and that people naturally want to share. So, for example, things that are really funny, any memes, like people always tag their friends because they're like, oh my God, hey, isn't that funny? That kind of, that's the kind of traction you need to be able to grow. So no matter sort of what your niche is, I think sprinkling in humor and authenticity is is a great way to sort of round out. Like if you are an influencer and your entire feed is you in fashion shots, you have to find a way to infuse other things that mean something to you. I'll give you a great example. My sister and I, both of our kids go to sleepaway camp, and her daughter was very homesick last summer, or two summers ago, and she was complaining to me that she's getting these letters home and they're horrible, and I was like, oh, but everyone goes through that, and like, she'll get over it, and oh my God, we should start an Instagram account and just post the letters. So... We started homesick.com, and uh, it was such a great education for me as, like, a digital person because the account last summer, we started up in June again. It's just a seasonal Instagram account, and we were at, like, maybe, like, 856 followers, and we grew 9,000 followers organically over the two months of camp just because the content was so funny. So there is a way to do it. You just can't be, and not to use this phrase because it obviously has different meaning now, but it can't be me too. You can't just be the same as everybody else. Like you have to think of a way to differentiate yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, we we know someone who has an Instagram account called Hampton's White Jeans <laughs> that is 
hilarious. I will follow. I can't say who it is, but it's also seasonal and it's really funny. I am immediately following when I leave. (laughs) (laughs) And catching up on the entire And just like, I mean, even, I think it is interesting too, because it's, you would think that you would want to have a broader, more, you know, general kind of topic or audience or, you know, and- in both of these cases, it's very niche, but I think that's okay. Well, I think it's I okay. feel like it's you can't be such a broad category anymore because there's already mega stars in those categories. Yeah. There's already mega influencers like fashion bloggers, you know? So you can't it's you can't just be a fashion blogger anymore. Do you guys see the Fashion Week Frog account that popped up? Oh, my God. It's amazing. Right. So Kermit the Frog, only pictures of Kermit the Frog, but real-life fashion stuff. I mean, it was the funniest read ever. I mean, that's—so I think, again, honing super laser sharp into that niche I think still works. And also maybe it's not like this long-lived account, you know? Maybe it's just like a hit and you're done. True. You know, we'll— Hampton's white jeans live for years. Is it building something? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's just a funny thing. Or I think it has the potential for longevity only because it's like, well, every summer, I mean, people go to the Hamptons. Well, there was Man Buns of Montauk was another one. That seems more fleeting, maybe. (laughs) But but still funny. Why not? So funny. You know? So funny. I don't know. I like the idea of not always... You're not always building, building, building. Maybe it's just like something that is a hit and then it's gone. I also love the idea because I have another idea for something like just make multiple accounts and test content and see what works. Like Mm -hmm. if you're into something and it's even if it's completely unrelated to your business, like just do it. I totally agree. One question I have is, what are your thoughts? It's such a buzzword, but micro-influencers versus macro. So many thoughts, Kit. Um, <laughs> so I think that, you know, brands employ different strategies. So if you are a brand, I, I be, I've always believed in a really sort of multimedia strategy. So you're not going to just do influencer. You're going to do a lot of other things. And right now I, I'm actually feeling more analog in my strategy mentality of like really beautiful catalogs sent home I totally agree outdoor billboard and just going a little bit back in time just to because everything is so noisy online but to directly subway ads yeah I'm obsessed with subway ads are great I'm thinking about that too subway ads are great actually hinge the dating app has amazing amazing love and that fragrance what's the fragrance and Casper Casper. Oh, oh my yeah. wait, those riddles. Oh, did you see the riddles yeah. they did? I couldn't Genius. figure them out. I like went to the site because you can do the answers on the site. I'm like, oh, I actually did that. That's so genius. So genius. So I think of it a little bit <clears throat> in the way we used to think about magazines. Like there's certain ones you do for like the credibility and brand awareness, and you're not gonna maybe get direct sales. So your macro influencers for the alignment and the positioning of where you want your brand to be. And then especially if you have retail presence at a local level, I love the idea of micro influencers in Atlanta, in Dallas, Mm -hmm. in Chicago, because they have, you know, an authentic community. And we all know that the engagement rates are higher when they're smaller. So I think it's a healthy mix. 
And I also believe in more like longer term partnerships with people so that the relationship is authentic. They genuinely like the brand. Yeah. They wear it. And it's yeah. not that it's just like one and done. Mm-hmm. Also, totally rather agree. than I think posting like three different things like very close together, it's just a hit. And then you wait and, you know, maybe a month later or two months later, there's another one. And then it just continues and it is more. Yeah, it feels long. it feels real. But I think also, I don't know, people have some fatigue. So I do think it's going to pivot from that That's, influencer yeah. culture. Fatigue influencer, in what way? Yeah. I think that, you know, because it's become such a lucrative business, and, and, there, and it should be, you know, I think each person who does it is creating their own brand, and they should be paid to work with other brands. But – it's advertising. And at the end of the day, why we liked influencers in the first place was because we didn't believe advertising, right? We didn't believe when there was an ad because you're paying for it. So then came this organic credibility of like, I wear this, I love this, and I'm posting about it because I genuinely use it. And then now we're back to advertising. So I just think that I don't know. I think the industry always shifts, and there'll be something. I mean, I'd love to know what well, that yeah, is. Yeah, what do you think? Crystal you ball? Must, you must have a hint. You know, I, I I guess my answer is really more analog. I, I think I think that, you know, brands – I mean, you, you yourself have an incredible brand story and brand DNA, and you know who the Cynthia Rowley girl is. I think a lot of sort of younger brands have turned a lot of that authority over to user-generated content and crowdsourcing and letting the public sort of dictate what they want to see. Do you want to see this in yellow? Do you want to see it in blue? And I still think there is there's a need and a place for for the creatives of the world to say, this is what you need next season. And, and they're still in authority. And I... So I'm listen, I obviously I have a long career in fashion and I believe in a lot of the old school ways of doing things as much as I believe in the new age stuff, but I think that people still need to have direction and I think the direction should come from the creatives who really should say what that direction should be. I you, agree. you guys nobody can see my face, but right now I'm like, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, my God. No, that's interesting, though. I mean, I do think creating original work in whatever way you're doing it, whether it's photography or, you know, anything, anything, creating original work, if it's a product or whatever, is the absolute baseline for anything, you know, like that, that has to come absolutely first. And then where you take that, it, you know, there's a million different ways. But first, like, start with a, an original idea. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think at the end of the day, we're all telling stories. So I think when you have a really great story and you have heritage like you do, it's really easy to sort of tell that story in different mediums. And it comes from a place of authenticity because it is real. And even if you're sort of – you know, evolving every season and you're thinking about new ways to do things, like if it's coming from like a genuine interest point, like let's say you're just all of a sudden like really into cooking, making this up, obviously. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are. Do you we cook? Are. Yes. Okay. Yes. We cook together. Cute. I know. Um, it's, it's I definitely order. 
<laughs> so um, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, doing a cooking show where everyone's wearing Cynthia Rowley and you have Cynthia Rowley aprons or whatever, like doing things that you love and then infusing the brand through that story. That's the kind of content that I love producing because it's more interesting. And if you think about it from the point of view of like, what do you want to watch? Like, do you even want to watch that? I can't tell you how many years over the course of the career, and I have had amazing teams where, like, you know, one of my PR directors would come to me and be like, here's the press release we're going to send out. And I'm, like, looking at it, and it's, like, a full page, like, font size 10, no single, and, like, single space. And I'm like, I don't even want to read that. Like, you think (laughs) a reporter is going to want to read that? Like, I'm not even reading that for approval. Like, you need to cut that down. So if you think about it from the consumer perspective, it's much easier to sort of create a filter around how you look at content. So say you, we we do our cooking show and everyone's wearing the clothes. Yes. Where would it live? It would live on IGTV and YouTube. And the, that's, that's it. And maybe our site. Yeah, you could put and, it on your site. But I think, I mean, you could certainly drive to your site. I mean, look, Jennifer Garner made an entire fake cooking show out of her kitchen. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But she, no, but I love that she, idea. She, <laughs> it is shot as if it's a real cooking show. It is not a real cooking show, but she acts like Martha Stewart in her kitchen. Uh-huh. You have to check it out. And it's not real, but it's content. That's so funny. And what is it, like, all ordered in? No, she or? cooks. Oh, no, oh, she's she cooking. She's cooking, but oh. it's not It's not like Netflix hired her for, like, a cooking show. Yeah. She just shoots it with her iPhone, or maybe not, but it looks like iPhone, in her kitchen, like, every morning or once a week or however, however often she does it. But it's— she she speaks as if it's a real cooking show, and it's not. Yeah, it's just like recording your life. It's like, welcome yeah. to my yeah. kitchen. Today we're yeah. making, you know, pot roast, whatever. I love that. Today um, we're making seamless. I'm ordering seamless for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since we're on Ageless, yes. I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts are on shifting careers and, you know, Finding basically your mission in life at any age. So someone said to me recently, and I wish I could remember right now who said it, but what would you do for free? Like, what would you do for free? Because I think that's a really – oh, it was Jessica Andrews, actually. It's a great way to find your passion because a lot of people are in jobs that they've sort of – That's such a good – Yeah, Jessica. Her episode was amazing, I have to say. Um, a lot of people are in jobs that they sort of fell into, let's say, right out of college, and you sort of get into this, like, snowball effect where, like, it's too far gone. Like, you can't pivot or you think you can't pivot. So thinking about what you would do for free and starting that on the side, seeing if you get traction, and then really making it a thing. But I think as far as how you make that move, you know— over the course of a career, you you have, you know, cumu- accumulated all of these skill sets. And a lot of the skills we all have are really transferable. So it's really a question of someone in another industry being um, open-minded enough to look at your skill set and be like, okay, well, she did marketing and finance. Is that applicable to fashion? Like, how does that transfer? And that's where your network comes in. And really thinking about, you know, I tell people all the time, go on LinkedIn. If you see a job that's interesting— Figure out you must know someone who knows someone who knows someone that works there and have someone make a warm intro. Because when it's coming from a person that's related to them in some way, you're going to get 
an, a, a chance. If you're just going to apply like through LinkedIn or sending your resume into like this black hole, it's never going to happen. But thinking about your resume from the perspective of different versions for different job opportunities exactly. and yeah. really calling out, you know, I always tell people to look at different brands' job listings when they're posting jobs, multiple brands, even if you don't want to work there, and see what they're asking for. What are the skills they're looking for? And make sure you mimic a lot of that language in your resume because a lot of these big companies are just putting it into a system and pulling out keywords. And if you don't have those key like catchphrase words that they're looking for, you're going to get tossed out. So there's a bit of strategy to it as well. stressful (laughs) maybe you can leave us with your number one career tip okay my number one career tip I would say is you need to cherish your network appreciate your network be someone who is gracious to introduce other people open doors for other people I think in every industry, you know, your reputation matters. And I always say that, you know, people say like, oh, your reputation, uh, you know, if you have a bad reputation, it will follow you, right? No, it gets there before you do. The minute you apply, someone is looking at your Instagram. Someone is texting a friend saying, do you know this person? So you have to be really mindful of what your reputation is. And I think it's really important that your sort of online presence match your in real life presence. And a lot of times people forget that social is exhibit B right after your resume, if not exhibit A. So doing a spring cleaning of your social channels before you apply somewhere is a really good tip. Because if you go back in time, there's probably a lot of things you've posted that maybe right now, if someone is looking to hire you, they may not appreciate as much as you did that night after three cocktails. Agreed. Smart. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I try to do every day is make a connection or do something good for someone I I know. I love that. So, like, even if you just tell yourself one thing per day, I'm going to help someone out, I think that that all comes back. I think that's wonderful. And I actually tweeted this the other day because I find so many people are incredibly fake about promising to make introductions. Oh, yeah. Like, you meet someone for a coffee, like, oh, my God, I'll totally introduce you. And then you, like, follow up and nothing. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to make an introduction or promise to make a connection for someone, actually do it. Would be a nice change of pace. Yeah. (laughs) Never hurts. It never hurts. Yeah. It never hurts. And I think, listen, you can keep tabs and you can understand if someone's constantly taking from you and not giving back. And then maybe you don't always pull that favor. But for the most part, I think people, you know, it's a give and take. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. Thank you very much. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me on. This was super fun. I am, where am I? I am on Instagram, Aliza Licht XO, because someone took my name, so I had to add that XO on. Um, Aliza Licht on Twitter, and Leave Your Mark is my book, and the podcast is also Leave Your Mark. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. This was so fun. All right, so I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan.
Thanks for listening.